We hold these truths. We're up to article number 8. How are you doing with these? Do you find that you hold these truths? Do you yourself hold these truths, these things to be true? Are they the things that you know that you have placed your faith in the God who is faithful? We come today to article number 8. Jesus' bodily resurrection, His ascension, His present work, and His imminent return. There's a lot. And Kelly's in the nursery today, so she's very worried. I am less worried. This is what Article 8 of our Articles of Faith say. We believe in the resurrection of the crucified body of our Lord. We were just singing about that. We believe in His ascension into heaven and in His present ministry there for us as high priest and advocate. We believe in the personal, visible, imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ for His church in His coming in glory with all the believers to set up His kingdom upon earth. I could preach for a year just on these things. Maybe if God allows, I'll spend more time in the future on some of these things. But I'm going to try, I'm going to try and touch each one of those points. Uh, today, because of how much content we have, I, I don't have the time to give you two or three corroborating verses for each one of these points. Um, but in, in the future, we may go back and revisit some of these things. And if, and if you stick around, and if I are allowed to stick around long enough, we probably will come back around to these things uh, as we go forward together. I'm going to break these down phrase by phrase, starting with, we believe in the resurrection of the crucified body of our Lord. It is the foundation of our Christian faith. If we did not have a resurrected Lord, we do not have a faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 goes into detail to explain why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so foundational to our faith. If Jesus is not resurrected, then we we have believed a lie. We've put our hope in something that doesn't exist. And we are of all men, Paul said, we are of all people most to be pitied if Christ is not raised from the dead. But he goes on to say, but now Christ is raised from the dead and we have reason to celebrate and we have a foundation for our faith. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 4 says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. I want to remind you of a verse that I uh, used, uh, uh, I believe, two weeks ago from Romans chapter 8. Chapter 10, sorry, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart man believes and it is with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And it is absolutely essential for you and for me as a part of our confession of faith that saves us. It is by 
grace that you have been saved through faith. This is the faith that saves you. Now that you have heard it, you cannot reject it and still be saved. Jesus died for our sins, according to the Scripture. He was buried. That proves that He was really dead. And on the third day, He was raised again to life. And Paul then goes on to say, And He was seen alive, not by one or two, but by up to 400 people in one place at the same time. There's no doubt, there's no question in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as an established historical fact. We believe in the bodily, physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second phrase, we believe in His ascension into heaven. He was raised from the dead after the third day of his of his death. He was raised and then he walked on the earth with his disciples, continuing to teach and proclaim, seen by hundreds of people alive for 40 days. And in Acts chapter 1, we read about this event. Jesus talking with his disciples, they asked him, is it, is it now that you are going to establish your kingdom here on earth? And Jesus said to them, I quote, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He said that to those disciples. But he might as well be saying it to me and you. It is not for me or you to know the exact time. But it also says that time has been fixed. There is an appointment on God's Google calendar. I guess it wouldn't be Google. There is an appointment on God's calendar, part of His plan. We're going to talk about His plan. There is a time that God has already determined for the kingdom on earth to be established. That wasn't the time. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know, except to know that there is a time. Be encouraged by that. It's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power. You won't receive knowledge, though. You're going to have to make do with power. Which would you rather have? The power of the Holy Spirit in me to do what He wants me to do for as long as He wants me to do it. And when He wants me to stop doing it, He knows. But in the meantime, God has given me the empowerment to do what He wants me to do. Let me continue to read. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, if he was saying this to us and not to them, and if he was saying it here and not there, he might say, you'll receive power and you will be my witnesses in Middletown and Montgomery and in Orange County and all through the northeastern United States where it's needed more than ever and through the rest of the United States and the whole world. And by the way, now more than at any other time in the history of humankind, 
we have the ability, through that camera lens right there, we have the ability to proclaim this message to the ends of the world. So hear it, you ends of the earth. (laughs) Hurry up, because we're all waiting for everybody to catch up so we can all go. I don't want to get off track. Now, this is verse 9 of Acts chapter 1. When he, Jesus, had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. That was not CGI. It was not special effects. Those things hadn't come around yet. These disciples watched as Jesus finished what he was saying to them and then ascended in the sky. And he, they kept on watching until a cloud obscured him from their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Spoiler alert, these guys are angels. In case, just in case. Two men stood by them in white robes. When I was a teenager, I sang in our church choir and we sang a cantata. And <laughs> I stood next to the baritone who had the solo, who who. His solo was what the angels said to the men watching as Jesus ascended into heaven. And so even as I read it, every time I've read it, I hear his voice in my ear singing it. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, whom you have seen ascend into heaven, will so come in like manner as you have seen him go. Now that's the King James Version, if you're following along and you're saying, hey, 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 that's not what it says. Yes, it is. <laughs> is too. This Jesus taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, the angels, they're messengers from God. They only say what God tells them to say. They're better messengers than this than this messenger. They only say what God tells them to say. And so when they say, this Jesus you saw ascend, he's coming back in the same way that you saw him go up, he's coming back. I think they meant it. And to the same place, it seems, the Mount of Olives. But somehow, somehow, I don't know how, I don't know how the technology is going to work. But there is a passage that says when he returns, every eye is going to see him. Somehow, we're all going to see it if we're paying attention. All right, that's the ascension into heaven part. Almost nobody disagrees with that. Almost nobody says, no, he didn't go to heaven. The next thing we say is we believe in his present ministry there. There we mean in heaven as our high priest. Here's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, I read, I, I referred to verse 16 when we were taking communion together. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have a high priest who identifies with us. The role of the priest is to stand in front of the people and represent the people to God. The role of the prophet is to stand uh, in front of the people, facing the people, and represent God to the people. This is what God says to you. The priest stands uh, in front of the people facing God and says, God, on behalf of the people I'm representing, please be merciful. Jesus stands in front of me facing God and says to God on my behalf, please be merciful to this knucklehead. Forgive them, Lord. They do not know what they are doing. Sometimes do you feel like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you'd, think by, you'd think by this time I'd have a better idea what I'm doing, but there are days. If Kelly was here, she'd be saying, Amen. You could hear her in the nursery saying, He's right. He doesn't know what he's doing. The, the last part of that passage in, in Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace because our high priest is standing there on our behalf. We can come and stand right behind him as he pleads to the Father on my behalf. Be merciful to this one that we may, find, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. In time of need. Because we have a high priest in heaven right now, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and know that we are accepted there in His merciful representation for us. And then we also say, in the second half of that expression, we believe in His present ministry there in heaven as our advocate. Our advocate. Think Defense attorney. He is pleading my case before the judicial bench that is the throne of God. My little children, James, John writes this in 1 John chapter 2. These verses I've already used in this series, so you've probably already got them underlined in your Bible. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... <laughs> what a gracious expression. <laughs> but just in case, if any one of you happens to mistakenly blunder into sin, how, how kind a turn of phrase that is. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. He is the righteous one and He and he, I guess, you know, we could artistically, poetically say he indicates the nail scars in his hands and con continually reminds the father. Paid. It's been paid. It's paid for. It's covered. It's covered. My sacrifice was sufficient even for that sin. Again? Yes. Another one? Yes. 
How many? All of them. He is the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation, the accepted atonement, the accepted sacrifice. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know the guy out there who sins against you? The neighbor who pushes his snow onto your yard? Or rakes his leaves into your freshly raked yard? That sin is paid for too. Do you, do you need to be reminded that your neighbor's sin is also paid for? You need to be reminded that your enemy's sin is already paid for. The sins of the people sitting right now in confinement, paying their debt to society. Their debt to society is being worked off, but their sin debt has already been paid. Now, it might not be that it has been applied to them yet, but that's also true of your neighbor. It's also true of your spouse or your child or even you, the payment has been offered, but until you receive it, it is not applied. Have you received it? Amen. Say it again. Say amen again. Your your sin debt has already been paid. It needs to be applied. Has it been applied to your account? God transfer the credit built up in heaven for my sin. Transfer some of that to cover my sin debt. Is there enough? Is there enough? For everybody? Can I ever use it up? Can I come, can I come to a place in my life where I have sinned so much that, that I have bankrupted God? Never. Even if you leave out of here and sin on the way home. I'll let you imagine how that could look. But it's not very hard to imagine it. I was talking to somebody just this week. I have never in my entire life ever done one single thing perfectly. Without mistake. There was a season in my pastoral ministry where I was also the church secretary and I did the bulletin every week. And I think it it became a challenge. Um, Somebody would find a mistake in the bulletin and bring it to me and show it to me. (laughs) And then I would say, that's not a mistake, that's a feature. That that allows me to emphasize the fact that none of us is perfect. No, it was a mistake. I've never done anything perfectly. Never. Never. God is perfect. What He does is perfect. And everything I do, even when I really take my time and really examine to make sure I'm doing it just right, there's still some imperfection or flaw in it because there's a human being behind it. So I am going to leave out of here and sin. Get out of my way. It might be you. I don't mean to make light of this. I don't. I don't. I don't want to stand in front of you and and give you even a hint, even for one moment, that I would stand in front of you and say, I'm exempt from sinning. 
if you knew, <laughs> if you knew me the way God knows me, you'd never listen to another word I said. It's okay, because if I knew you the way God knew you, I'd never talk to you again. I don't mean that. Let's continue. We believe in the personal, visible, imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ for His church. We we chose these three words specifically, not by accident. They have a reason to be in this statement. We believe in the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the very same person the one who left earth with those nail prints in his hands and feet inside. This same one who came and was born of the virgin. We came to know him as Jesus of Nazareth. And then we came to know him as both Lord and Christ. This is how the apostles describe him. It is that Jesus, that very same one, Not another who looked like him or in some way reproduces him, but that very same Jesus who left is coming back personally, bodily, visible, not just in spirit, not just in spirit. He will not be a mysterious, invisible, unseen presence, but as the eyes of humankind saw Jesus while he walked on the earth, In the days of the apostles, so the eyes of humankind will see him in person again. And the word imminent. The word imminent means near in time. There's a word immanent, I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T, that means near in place. Near in, in proximity. Imminent means near in time. And what we mean to say here is, It could happen any minute, any moment. It might happen during the lifetime of some of us who are here in this room. Lord, let it be so. In fact, the book of Revelation ends with, Even so, Lord Jesus, come, come now. I used to hear this as a teenager. I used to hear preachers preach about this when I was a boy. And I would think, Lord, I want you to return, but first I want to... I want to finish high school. And then I finished high school and the Lord hadn't returned yet. And then I would hear a message and I would say, Lord, I'm eager for you to return. But first, I'd kind of like to see my way through college. And then I started dating my wife, my not yet wife, but who would eventually become my wife. You know what I mean? And I said, Lord, I want you to return, but I kind of want to, you know. And then the kids... You know, then, then the, the grandkids and, you know, there's always something. There's always something that comes into my mind. Lord, I want you to return, Lord. You know, I'm having a good time here. And, you know, I don't want you to interrupt me. Wait, wait till they're about to put me in the nursing home. Then come. (laughs) But, but that's not right. That's not right because um, every passing day I have more reason to look at, look forward to the day when I will behold the face of Jesus. Whether I go to Him or whether He comes here first. 
it's imminent. He's coming for his church. You, you're familiar with these words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But it, it's always good to hear them again. Verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Those who are asleep is a gentle way of saying those who have died. We have, in the Bible, there are a lot of gentle ways of describing. You know, he's, he's, um, away from the body and at home with the Lord. He's asleep. He's asleep in Jesus. He's, 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 we used to say he passed away. Then we said he passed on. Now we just say he passed. He's, he's with the Lord. Paul is gently saying, I don't want you to worry about those in the, in the fellowship who have died. Have they missed out on the hope, the, the promise, the expectation of, of Christ's return? I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, so that you will not grieve as those who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, since we believe that Jesus died and that He rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. They didn't miss it. They didn't miss it. We ought to worry more about us because there's a chance that we, if, if we come to the end of our days on earth and we still haven't made that confession of faith, we'll be the ones to miss it. But those who have, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, they haven't missed anything. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We, we're not going to get a head start on them. For the Lord Himself, this is the wonderful, exciting part, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a shout. No, that was me. With the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Listen for the trumpet of Jesus, the imperial son. And the dead in Christ will rise first. They're the ones who got the head start. But don't worry, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, with them, we're going to catch up, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You remember when the angel said, this same Jesus that you have seen go up into heaven is coming back? Well, this seems to say, on his way, on his way back, we're going to get to go up and meet him and then do a 180. And we're going to join the caravan and come back. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And that's what I was just trying to do for you, trying to encourage you with these words. Jesus is coming back. The next part of our statement says, we believe in His coming in glory with all the believers to set up His kingdom upon earth. I just want to give you this exciting passage from Revelation chapter 19. This image that John saw and described. Verse 11, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, 
a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. There's some symbolism there that um, there's this reference to the blood. That, that That is his victory banner. The name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. It's not clear if these are the angels or some combination of angels and saints, angels and humans who have already joined uh, the heavenly host as the, as, as the human division. There'll be the angelic division and maybe there'll be a human division. As, as a military veteran, I kind of like the idea of being a team leader, a squad leader in that, in that host. This description goes on. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. What comes out of a person's mouth? Words. His word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Remember that from Hebrew? From Hebrews 4.12. All he needs. He doesn't need a weapon. He doesn't need a sword. He doesn't need a nuclear um, device. He doesn't need uh, a guided missile. He just speaks. He spoke it into existence. As, as Bill Cosby said about the birth of his child. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. This is not a, this is not a, a, a paid endorsement. He will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, God the all. Listen, you, you and I, you get frustrated. You get frustrated when the world around us seems to be moving farther and farther and farther away from what we understand to be the revealed truth and the will of God. <sighs> it's not your fight. That's not your fight. But there are people in this world that I care about who right now, as far as I can tell, are on the wrong side of the wrath of God. I want to be behind it, not in front of it. Do you know what I mean? And so my heart's desire is that I can help as many people as I can help get out of the way of the wrath of God. And get behind it as part of God's host. Our mission is to help people switch sides and deliver the captives. And we do that by showing them the love of Jesus. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The last part of our statement talks about Jesus setting up his kingdom on earth. And so I want to read just the first 
six verses from Revelation chapter 20 and invite you on your own to do some further reading in the rest of uh, Revelation 20 and then 21 and 22 that talk about what the eternal state, what the eternal kingdom is going to look like. Revelation 20 verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven and he's holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon. That's, that's how Paul saw it in his vision. But he also explains who the dragon is. That ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan. And with the chain bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. Listen to this. So that he might not deceive the nations any longer. What does that mean? What is he doing right now? He's unchained and unbound and unconfined. He is busily deceiving the nations. Which nations? All of them. Everywhere. You want to be angry about what you see happening in our nation? Here's the culprit. This is, this is our enemy. My neighbor, who is deceived, is a victim. Do you understand that? Just like I was. Just like you were. You and I are victims. We don't blame the victim. Why not? We, we blame the enemy, not the victim. Even when there's a Stockholm Syndrome thing happening here which is what we're sometimes up against. But it also says, He will not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended, and after that He must be released for a little. He gets a comeback. And then it goes on. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the Word of God. How many of you remember the old 70s movie, Thief in the Night? A few few in the room. And um, they they made good use of the the French uh, invention of execution, the guillotine that would behead people who wouldn't take the mark of the beast. Remember, uh, well, now I put that idea in your head, I'm sorry. But that's that's where that idea came from. Those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's the millennial kingdom. Millennial thousand. Millennial kingdom reign of Christ for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection Over such the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. Read the rest of that chapter and the the chapters that follow and see what else is in store. Following this is the great white throne judgment. That is reserved for those who have not believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior. All right, why is this important? I'm already out of time, but I don't have much more. Why is all of this about Jesus important? Well, 
as I thought about this, it occurs to me, it reminds me, God has a plan. He's not figuring this thing out on the fly. God has a plan. And that, as soon as I said that to myself, I remembered, you know what I know about God is that God is good. I don't know everything about God's plan, but I know that God is good and therefore His plan is good. Do you agree? God's plan is good, even though I don't understand very much of it. And I've been looking at it for a long time, and I still don't understand very much of it. Not not only do I understand very much of God's plan for the whole world, I'm barely figuring out very much of God's plan for me, and I'm in it. I'm living it. Since God's plan has been unfolding from the beginning... It continues to the present day. We're still in God's plan A. There is no plan B. And it's now, this part of God's plan is unfolding right in front of me. It's pretty exciting, by the way. And God's plan proceeds without interruption, without fail. No plan of God's can be thwarted. That's what Solomon said. No no thing that God sets out to do can be turned aside. Not by the enemy and not by me. And all of this brings me to this conclusion. Because of this, you and I, this is what I want you to leave here today understanding. You and I have a certain hope, not the kind of hope that says, I hope I get a BB gun for Christmas or a pony. But it's coming. The only uncertainty is the when. You and I can have a certain hope for a glorious future with God. And I want to leave you with this verse that we talk about a lot. I want to set it in this context. It comes from a context of suffering in Jeremiah chapter 29. He, God is speaking these words through the prophet Jeremiah to a people that he has just put in time out. You're going to be in exile. You're going to be there 70 years. Some of you won't survive it. But understand this. I'm not putting you there because I don't love you anymore. Whom the Father loves, He chastens and disciplines as sons. If you and I feel like we're having a rough time of it right now, ask God, God, have you put me in time out? Is there something I'm supposed to be learning? Something I need to make a correction or a change or repent from? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. <laughs> the plans for your welfare, for your prosperity, for your goodness, for your abundance, for your bounty. My plan for you is unbelievably rich and good. Hold on to that. God's plan for me is not to... Bring me calamity or evil. God's plan for me is to bring me prosperity and peace. Whatever prosperity. Don't don't take that word prosperity and spin it in a materialistic direction. That's not what we're talking about. I have plans. I have big plans for you. God says to me, Dennis, I have big plans for you. (laughs) You're not big enough for your plan, for my plan for you. You're not big enough. I'm stretching you, Dennis, so that you can... Contain what I have planned for you. 
I'm going to stretch you. And if you were Stretch Armstrong and you had intellect and emotions and will, do you think you would like being pulled apart so that your arms were three times longer than they were supposed to be? Doesn't seem comfortable. It is not comfortable to be stretched. Just bend over and tie your shoes. See how comfortable you feel. My plan for you is a good plan. It's not for evil. My plan is to give you a future. A glorious future. And a blessed hope. This is why it's important to know what the Bible says about now that Jesus died for our sins, what's next? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the what has already happened part of our faith. Thank you for what you're doing right now as you unfold your plan specifically in our lives and in the life of this assembly. And thank you, Father, for what's coming. And thank you that when the wrath of God is on display, we can safely stand behind it and not be the subject of your wrath. Help us now to make a conscious choice by trusting in the finished work of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, so that we might be spared the coming wrath of God. And we pray also for our loved ones who do not yet share our faith. Help us to understand they are not our enemy. Those who disagree with us about our faith, they are not our enemy. They are our objective. We want to find a way to reach them in love and help to accomplish the work of redemption and rescue that you have set out to accomplish. We pray your blessing on us as we go our way, as we think through these things, as we review, as we consider as we evaluate and and ask ourselves this question, is this what I believe? Is this where I am standing? Is this the truth that I hold? I pray that you will help us, Father, to be convinced in our own hearts and where we have questions, not to brood over them, but to seek uh, to to, uh, air our questions and ask and and uh, find instruction and find help and find wisdom. Help us, I pray, to find what you've set before us. In Jesus' name, amen.
with a reading from Numbers 6, 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.